Welcome everyone to this week's podcast. I'm sitting here with my friend, uh, Becky Barrett. Hi, Becky. Hi, Austin. (laughs) Good to see you. Um, We are not coming to you live. This is obviously recorded, but we have recorded podcasts in my office. We've recorded podcasts on Zoom, Uh, but this is a first. We are recording this podcast in the high-tech audio studio of my car. If, uh, if you didn't hear that. It's the uh, Subaru. It's the Subaru recording studio. Uh, this is the great. I was able to meet Becky over here today in, in Bellevue and have this conversation. So again, thank you for making the time. It's good to be together. Um, as we talked a little bit about in the, the, the opener, the introduction, um, Becky, as you many of you at RPC may know, Becky, um, her, her name and her face is familiar because we have worked a lot together uh, during her time at Overlake Park Presbyterian, where Becky was the senior pastor there for eight years, eight years yeah. and, and in full-time pastoral ministry for a total of 15 or 16, 20, 20, 20, that's right. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, yeah, we've, we've shared uh, preaching sermons together. We've worked on classes together. We've done all sorts of things. And in addition to that, Becky's just a wonderful friend and, uh, and, and close colleague. So, and I knew you when, I mean, I, I have pictures of you pre-seminary even and stories Yes. for anyone who would like stories about Austin Ashenbrenner. <laughs> pictures and stories that I pay you well to keep <laughs> private, right? I uh, know where the bodies are buried. <laughs> exactly. Um, so, I reached out to Becky uh, this for this particular conversation because um, I wanted to talk a little bit about, and you can see from the uh, episode title that we're talking a little bit about change today. And um, and much of this podcast has spent talking about where we're seeing God at work in our communities and in our church and amongst us. Um, and, and one of the conversations we come back to frequently these days is around the topic of, of change that, you know, we've just come out of the pandemic and we have seen and are living into uh, broad change across our culture in the way we do work, in the way that we uh, see school happening and in the way that we communicate and gather and certainly in the way that we do church. We talk a lot about the the what of change, right? What are the changes we're seeing? Uh, but today I wanted to talk a little bit about the the how of change, how we engage it. Uh, and, and what got me thinking about this was I, I read an article in the Seattle Times this past week, actually somebody at, at church uh, recommended it to me, about uh, the local Catholic uh, diocese in Seattle or Washington State um, has recently introduced a plan to begin um downsizing or kind of merging some of their parishes around the area in response to diminished attendance and, and, and things like that. And so again, we're seeing these changes all around us, but what I've noticed and and Becky, this is where I want to kick it over to you is, you know, the church historically is not exactly an, an an institution that is uh, synonymous with change or, you know, being, uh, agile or, or those kinds of things that we would associate with, with, with embracing change. And I'm curious to know from your unique perspective as someone who has, has been in the church, has, has led the church, has led church through change. And now as an executive coach, as you work with business leaders and, and folks, um, who, who maybe have nothing to do with church whatsoever, um, what you're learning about change and, and how it how it works and how people do it well or don't do it well, anything like that. Yeah, I think it's interesting as I think about change. I, one of my main questions is why do we resist it so 
intensely and deeply. Right. Because in some ways, in some ways, we actually really believe in change. We believe in transformation. We believe in growth. There are lots of things in our lives we wish would change. And then there's so many that we just push back from and resist. And so I think the question that's on my mind a lot is why? What are the obstacles to change? Mm-hmm. What what causes us to push back from it so fearfully and intensely? And I think some of it is, why, why do we believe that what's on the other side of change won't be better? Mm. You know, we have this depravity thinking that, you know, if we just lean into it and let's see where this goes, that somehow if we don't control it, if we don't know where we're going, that it will somehow be worse than it is now. Mm. And in, as I've looked back at even my time at Overlake Park Presbyterian Church, I, you know, I used to say a lot, thinking about change is like asking people to give up their current house before they knew, know where they're moving. Mm. And now I'm like, yeah. Like, welcome. That's life. Like, we have to always give up what we are doing now in order to move. Because the next thing isn't built yet. And if you don't lean into it, it actually is. You can't do both. You can't stay in your current house and rip it down and build a new one. (laughs) So I wish, you know, we're all evolving and learning. But I wish I had kind of known that before. I think it is a good way to remind ourselves how hard we resist change. Yeah. But it's not. It's just, it doesn't answer that question of why. Yeah. I think that's interesting because you're absolutely right that that we tend to just default to that idea that change will result in something negative. And maybe we all have examples in our lives where, um, you know, there was a change that we lived through and and came out on the other side and it wasn't, you know, it, it was, it was worse. You know, somebody we loved died or, you know, we lost a job and, and those are things we point to and go, that was, that was horrible. But I'm sure we all have stories too of, you know, transitioning from college to, uh, to the work world or transitioning from one job to another or a house that we can look back on and go, Oh, I'm so grateful for, you know, that was hard, but I'm so grateful for that change. So, you know, I'm curious with that, I understanding that, that default kind of to the, this is going to be horrible. What have you found, um, that, that moves people along a little bit, like, I guess that budges us out of that stuckness of can't, can't change. It's going to be worse. What gets the ball rolling? Yeah. So making this transition, I've been at coaching for about a year now and spent the last year studying and doing, I did a certification program and, um, took a big international coaching federation test to, to really try to cement myself into the frame of coaching. What mm-hmm. is coaching? It's a series. It's, it's have, it's walking with someone or a team toward a goal that they have set by, and, and there's so many things about coaching that I believe in and that are, that are so connected to faith, right? I feel mm-hmm. like I, it's, I'm still doing ministry. It's just so different because in coaching, you really believe the client or the team you're working with, there is something going on for them in their soul, in their life. And they know where they want to go and need to go. They have all the answers. I don't need to tell them anything. I just need to ask questions that gets them toward their next step, their journey. Hmm. 
And there's a framework of coaching that has been so fascinating to me to think about in the church context. You know, you first you when you're working with a client or clients, you assess readiness, then you try to build the plan. You know, what is the goal and what's the plan you want to do, you know, to get there? Then you observe obstacles. How do you get over those obstacles? You know, and then you change the plan, then you change the goal sometimes. It just sort of moves that through that in that direction. And the thing about the frame that has really just deeply struck me in relationship to the church is that first step, assess readiness. Hmm. Because if the if the client isn't actually ready to move toward the goal, whatever the goal is, it will not work. And there are times when I am working with a client that I have to say, I don't think you're ready. Hmm. You don't seem ready. You don't, you know, and, so, and there's indicators of that, right? Like you don't, they don't show up on time. They cancel appointments or, you know, when you ask them about obstacles, they're like, I don't have time to work on that. Hmm. You know, it's, a, it's about hard. It's, it, it's about investment. It's sometimes it's about resistance. Sometimes people are there because someone else told them to be there. Like <laughs> my wife or my boss said, yeah, I have yeah. to do this. It's like, that's not going to work either. Right. Um, and when I think about that in the church, I think about, you know, do we do a good job of assessing readiness? Mm. Even readiness of, if, if our goal, we, we have this assumption that we're all living according to these goals, right? Like, we all want to follow Jesus. We all want to be transformed. We all want to live in love. Is that true? Mm. You know, are we all ready to actually do those things? And when obstacles come up, what do we notice? Do we notice that we are ready to tackle those things? I have a lot of questions around that in our leadership, right? Like, you know, when you, when you're nominated to be an elder, are you ready to make the decisions for the church that move the church toward what God is calling the church to not toward, I think the church really struggles with preference. Yeah. You know, my preference in music, my preference in, um, programs, my preference in whatever, um, and, and it's different, right? Because the church isn't ours. We think it is sometimes, but it's not ours. But I don't know. There's something about that. Assess our own readiness to follow Jesus. And I'm not saying it's like, sorry, you can't, <laughs> you can't come. You're not ready. Yeah. But it's more an internal assessment of like, hey, if I'm not ready to let the church be transformed into what God's calling it to be, you know, if you are in a workplace and you struggle with readiness, there are consequences to that, right? I don't know what the correlation to that is in the church, but you can't be, if, if, if I'm working with a team and there is one person who's not bought in, we have to deal with that, yeah. right? And because it's a paid position, it has, a, I think, a clearer framework, but the issues are the same. Yeah. So let me play around with that for a second. So thinking about that idea of, yeah, that how do we, um, yeah, what are, what are the, the consequences for, for lack of change? I, I was thinking about this this morning as I was driving in and thinking about this conversation we would have. And I was thinking about a light fixture in my house that mm-hmm. has three light bulbs. This is a true story. You can see it. It's in my living room. This light fixture has three light bulbs and I'm pretty sure right now one of them is burnt out and I'm not interested in changing that light bulb yet. Um, there's two more working. There's two more working. It's a little dimmer, but eh, it's fine. When the second one goes out, 
if if I'm really motivated, I might get up there and change them because, yeah, at that point, it's noticeably dimmer. When the third one burns out at that point, give me a break. It's dark in the room. I have to get up there on the ladder and change the light bulbs. But I thought about that joke, like with a little smile on my face, thinking I sometimes think that's the way to your point about readiness, that that change happens in the church is as long as it's working, we're going to just kind of keep bumping along. Right. And so I'm, I'm curious to know. It's like a slow dim. Right. So I'm curious to know what you, you gave indicators of a lack of readiness showing up late, uh, kind of obfuscating a little bit. Well, you know, I can't work on that. I don't have time. What are the indicators of, okay, it's time to get up on the ladder and, and change the light bulb or, okay, now I'm, I'm starting to be a little bit more ready to the idea of change. What do you, what have you seen? Yeah, it's interesting. The first thing that came to my mind when you were talking about that is like, is, is like being kind and loving to ourselves around it. Like asking ourselves, it sounds so silly, but it's like asking yourself, why don't I want to change that light bulb? Yeah. And then it's like, because I'm tired and I've already done 40,000 things today and I can see quote well enough. Right. But then, then the next question for me would be, what does it mean that I'm so tired at the end of the day? I can't even change a light bulb. Hmm. How do I live in a way that allows me to have enough energy that I actually deserve and want the brightest room possible? The dim isn't actually good enough. Ooh, I like that. Um, and because we all, and, and I do think that's so much a part of readiness is, you know, so many of us operate at margin, Hmm. but there's so much that happens in a day that, that we could actually either do to get ourselves more energy or stop doing to stop sucking energy. And one of the things that I think sucks way more energy from our souls than we realize is the amount of time we spend in fear and anxiety. Hmm. I think we spend an, an, enor- an enormous amount of time worrying about things, being afraid of things, <laughs> being anxious about things. Some of them because they're going on and some of them because they're just potential in our mind things that we want to make sure don't happen. Hmm. So that kind of more centering, soothing, um, curiosity and wondering, slowing down, and being honest with ourselves. So am I hearing you right that I want to make sure I got this, that, that one of the ways we short circuit our, our ability to, to move towards readiness is we kind of sap our energy worrying about what could be rather than let's just be present with what is. And perhaps like you said, even with some uh, curiosity and creativity, think about what could be as opposed to just the anxiety. So you're saying that anxiety just kind of drains the battery and and Mm -hmm. makes it so that when it comes time to say changes here, let's, let's engage this creatively and thoughtfully and faithfully. We're just like, eh, it's, it's, it's not dark enough yet. Like there, there's still two light bulbs, right? Like, yeah. And I, if you want to test this out, take any area of your life and ask yourself, just notice, right. That if you think about, okay, you know, whatever it is, okay, we're going to sell the church property, take that money and do something else. Just notice, live into that for like 24 hours and notice, Ah, right? What happens to my, you know, how many what ifs do I ask? What happens to my body? What happens? Here's my story about it, Austin. Uh, On Sunday, a 
Peter, my husband, did a bunch of stuff in the house that we needed to get done to get so that I could take it to the next space, whatever, all before 3.30 because the 49ers were on. And ah, his he has right. had a commitment to the 49ers since he was five. So um, he... It's he loves to watch the 49ers. I said I'm going to do some things. I'll 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 be in at halftime. And so I'm upstairs moving stuff around, getting things done and uh and I I bumped the router. Oh, no you didn't. <laughs> I did. I bumped the router. And I was like, did something happen? And I saw the lights flicker whatever. And then he said from downstairs, "Hey, hun, did uh did did you, did something happen with the router? Did you unplug the router? And I said, no, <laughs> I don't know. What do you mean? And he's like, well, the game's interrupted. Like something's going on. And I was like, hmm. <laughs> and so then he comes upstairs and he looks at it and then he restarts it. And he's like, oh, okay, you know, whatever. And he goes back downstairs. And I was, so here, a couple things happened for me in the next 24 hours. First of all, I noticed in myself when he asked me that question, I was so afraid. Mm. I thought he is going to, he's going to get mad. He's going to yell at me. I'm in trouble. Like my brain so automatically went to those things that I didn't even hesitate to lie. And then the next day when I, he came home from work and I was like, Hey, I lied to you yesterday. (laughs) We had a conversation about it. I realized it, ha- it had nothing to do with Peter. It's not even his nature to get mad. He doesn't even get mad at those things. So I, I use that as an example of often the reality of what's going on for us has actually nothing to do. Hmm. So we bring all of this stuff to the church, into the system. Wow. So when we're sitting around a table and we're brainstorming ideas of what does God want to do with the church... We haven't, we're automatically doing things, living into our own stories, our own fears, our own past that actually might not have anything to do with the current reality of what's Mm. going on. Wow. And I, and I, it's, I just think it's, it makes it very complicated to then shift the body of Christ toward transformation Mm -hmm. if people aren't self-aware and ready to notice and follow Jesus in a way that allows them to overcome their own obstacles to transformation and change and growth and development and that's I I love that and it it, was you're describing that I was like man Heaven help us, right? Because yeah, you're as as you're talking about a, a leadership table or a, a a congregation. You know, you're you're talking about 150 stories or maybe 10 stories that are all bringing around that table their own backgrounds, their own traumas, perhaps their own uh, anxieties or 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 visions or joys. And so yeah, to kind of sit with what's real, what's what's in the room, what's what's happening. Um, you're right. That is complicated, but, um, but I love how you've, you've come back to in a couple times, this idea of transformation as, as we follow Jesus. Um, because ultimately like in, in this conversation that we're having today, but in all of our conversations around the idea of change, we want that to stay centered, right? Like it, it can get really easy to say, 
um, how do we ensure the longevity of, of this congregation, this local congregation? How do we make sure we hit budget or how do we make sure that we keep the lights on? How do we, you know, give ourselves uh, a longer horizon, whatever, which are all we know. I think we all know in our gut the wrong questions, right? Like Jesus never said, go and, and plant a church and make sure it, it stays open forever and ever. Jesus said, you know, follow me, turn away and, you know live into the kingdom of God. So I want to kind of pull out our crystal ball just a little bit. What we're about to talk about is, is going to be a little speculative, but I, I think it comes back to your conversation, your comment about, um, we ought, we automatically assume change is, is going to result in a negative. When we talk about change as, as, as two people who have been around the church for a long time, but also I think in our lives and, and more broadly, when we avoid change, what do we stand to lose and 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 perhaps what do we stand to gain if if we kind of take a step closer to that idea of readiness like i mean i'll just say like right away when you were talking earlier about that idea that we assume it's all negative my first thought was yeah i mean first and foremost if if we stay kind of head in the sand to the idea of of things changing around us we do run the risk of missing the the potential of Oh, this is so much better, right? Like, you know, I, I think a lot about as a pastor right now, the church in 2023, I think is really laying the groundwork for what the church will be in 2050 or 2060. And I think it'll be really different and I don't know what it'll look like, but I think we're doing that work right now. And, and so to me, that's where some of the excitement is if we can move towards some of that readiness or whatever. But I don't know. What do you think in terms of what do we Mm. stand to to miss? What do we stand to gain? What do you think of when? Yeah, I probably have some bias here because I think in, I don't want to say it was a mistake, but I, I think in the course of our church history in the United States, one of the places where we made big decisions we didn't know we were making was uh, when we created buildings at all. Yeah. And I think they served a purpose for a time. And we're community hubs for a time. But I think now they're the idol mm-hmm. of the time. And th- they've become, the the church seems like the actual ministry. And, and that's not it. Mm-hmm. One of, you know, I, I, I have my feet in both worlds now. Some churches work with some pastors and then also some corporations and, you know, teams that have no faith affiliation. And one of the things I notice is... Um, that adaptability <laughs> is really uh, that that organizations are people who have a commitment to adaptability to sort of and and it's not adaptability like oh we'll just do we'll just flow with whatever the times are but it's more the openness to you know change and transform and understand and really grow. Mm. Um, you know, whatever that means, I think that's, uh, that is a piece that I've, I've really learned from. Um, but I don't, I think, I think you're right. I think we're laying a foundation for what the church will be in 2050, 2060, 2070. I, I also think that's a great reminder that it actually isn't about us. Right. It's really not about us. And, you know, it, at Overlake Park, we used to, people would laugh and say, you know, I, I want the church to change. I just want it all to happen after I die. <laughs> and I think that's, that is the piece of change that I think is really important is giving thanks for what was hmm. 
you know, remembering to say this was a lovely season right. in our building when everyone was coming and we had programs and, you know, this was a lovely season when we all came together and worshiped together, even though it was a global pandemic and we were all stuck at home. Yeah. This was a lovely season of whatever. And now we just want to do something different and we want to take everyone and all of our stuff with us. Mm. And we're willing to, you know, to, to be adaptable around these things in order to see, like, yeah. let's see what happens. Let's, let's wonder and get curious. And that has been the space of, coaching that I have loved is that it's all about asking questions. And I swear when I start a session with a client and I, I'm just trying to listen, they call it second channel listening. Like I'm, I'm trying to listen deeply and ask magic questions, Mm -hmm. like ask a question that sparks more insight. Mm -hmm. And then when you get to the end, you, I always ask, you know, what did you hear today? What'd you learn today? You want to make sure to carry forward. They always say something I could have never come up with. (laughs) And I'm like, it is so magic and amazing that it's soul work to me. Yeah. It's spiritual. It's what would it look like if the church practiced that? Yeah. You know, what if we we somehow got rid of all of the things that suck so much of, I know your time, Austin, budgets and finances and building, you know, skylights that leak. <laughs> <laughs> How did you know? How did I know? You know, and keeping up with the maintenance of a thing. And we created space to like think and dream and wonder together. And, you know, what if we, what if we sold buildings and met in public spaces before we knew what to do with all that money? Yeah. You know, what if there was no plan? What if the plan was to pray and seek a plan? That feels like the Old Testament. I mean, the New Testament to me, that feels like what following Jesus was like. Um, and I don't know. It just seems like a more fun way to live. <laughs> <laughs> a little, a little bit more out there on the edge. Well, and, and I, I love that as a practice. That that idea of, of what if we intentionally put ourselves in places where we didn't know the answer, right? Because I, I think you're right. I think we, we err on the side of saying this is how it should be, you know, or, or that's our our foundation. Um, I also really liked your take on on celebrating or being thankful for what was and and the first thing that popped into my mind was like you know I think about my kids and it's like each birthday or each you know uh rite of passage each each as they grow I'm think I'm I'm so thankful that my kids were babies and they were cute and adorable I'm also really thankful they're not babies anymore Mm. right like as they grow up I I give thanks for what was, and sure, it's hard to watch them grow so fast and all those things. But like, yeah, I, I, I wonder why in other places of our life we think, and I get it. Like we, we crave constancy. We crave things that are, that are solid. Uh, but yeah, what if in other places we adapt, we adopted that practice of, of being thankful for what was, this thing was wonderful for 20 years, 30 years, however long. And now it's different and we give it, we give it back to God and we, we, say what's next and and we look forward to that new thing i think that's because all it's so it's so helpful to do that and to remember that because also i think one thing we're we are um guilty of is we look back 
And we just remember all the good. Like right. it was perfect, <laughs> yes, right? It yes. was perfect when I loved when this was when it was this way. It was so wonderful. Right. Yeah, we do the same thing around holidays. Uh, my sister and I and I laugh. We, you know, when, when holi- on holidays when we can't be together, we are. I usually am so sad, and she always reminds me, "Hey, remember what it's actually like on the holiday, right? It's like not perfect. Everyone's tired. Yeah. You know, they're like you, everyone's bugging each other." You're like, oh my gosh, I just want to go home. You know, and I'm not saying it's bad. It's just everything's mixed. Right. We only remember the good. And yeah. Yeah. And we, and we, and I do think there is that very important step of asking ourselves, why are we so afraid of the future as if, if if the depravity thinking is not biblical. Mm. And I think it's very curious that Christians are often the most fearful people of finances, of there being enough, of, you know, hard things happening. Part of it, I think, is the reality, right? Like we absorb, it's like an occupational hazard. We're hearing all these prayer requests and hard things going on in people's lives. And so, but uh, that this isn't, that abundant life is what Jesus calls us to. And anything that holds us back from that, we really have to think about, is this serving me anymore? Right. I like that. I like that invitation to, to examine our own experiences in that. Cause you're right. Sometimes we just think well, there isn't there objectively, there isn't enough or this is hard or this is scary or change is bad. And, and as you're saying to kind of sit with that and go, what is that? Is that, is that what Jesus would want for us? Cause you're right. Like at the end of the day, yeah, we're invited into an abundant life, a, a full life, life that is life, as Jesus says. Um, and maybe we will mess up. Oh, totally. Right? Like maybe I will turn the router off in the middle of the 49er game. Yeah. But also maybe Peter will come upstairs and help me restart the router and move right along. And, and okay. we did it together and he helped me and he's not even... He wasn't even ruffled. It was fascinating. I really was like, this is it, man. (laughs) World War II is going to happen. I, you know, and he was, he's, he's like fascinated by it, you know. It's like, where did that come from? He's, and and he's never done that. Like he's never gotten mad. Like I have no evidence of it. It just was my, like how much might we, like we might just be all living into our auto response all the time. Well, and think about that, right? Just as you said that, I I thought about as, as the church, like, historically the church has been so many different things and and we only know mm. me being you me or anyone listening to this podcast we only know 60 70 40 years of it like we the church has had to adapt from meeting in catacombs to meeting in homes to meeting in gothic cathedrals to you know like to think that it can change and and that it'll somehow cease to exist is just crazy. Like all the stuff you're describing with Peter, like you're, you're imagining these absolute worst case scenarios. I think in the church, we, we, we imagine if it's not this worst case scenario, all these horrible things, when in reality, you know, we've, we've as a, as a church, as God's people, we've lived through this dozens of times and it's never been, you know, the, the worst case scenarios we think of we've, we've, Continue, God has continued to be faithful and, 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 and led us to the next thing. And so, yeah, I'll think of that router story as we're, as yeah, we're getting anxious. It was, a, it was an amazing lesson. Austin, I'm so grateful for you too, because one thing you have that I don't is that I didn't grow up in the church. Hmm. So I think you do really understand 
in the loving connection people have to this thing that they have been a part of their entire life and how hard it is, you know, the compassion of how hard it is to think about changing that when it has been the same way and that you receive something from it the way it is. So you don't want that to end. Um, I just am really grateful that for your leadership and really being able to understand that you know, that piece of it. And that I think, you know, when you ask that question, what's the alternative? It's like, well, if we don't change, it is going to fizzle out. Right. Right. Like it's going to die unintentionally. Yeah. Um, because the, the, the same paradigm is it's just not working. Right. And so how do we, how do we hold on to those pieces and honor those pieces and celebrate them? Yeah. Um, while transforming and changing. I think you're a good leader to walk people through that. So thank you. So let me know how it turns out. (laughs) JK. I'm still here. Thank you, Becky. Thank you for walking with us in that for, for being a a friend and a partner. And, uh, and, and I I really loved today's conversation. I like the, again, that I'm going to come back to that emphasis on, on transformation because, um, at the end of the day, changing, reconfiguring the chairs, changing the light bulbs like that's all wonderful but at the end of the day what 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 christ calls us to is is change is transformation is is new life and and so i appreciate that that reminder and so thank you i i was very careful at the beginning of this podcast to not say that you used to be a pastor because mm-hmm. you are a pastor and and I, I do appreciate the the important work that you do uh inside and outside the church and and all around as we begin to have a bigger picture of what that means so thank you uh do you need a ride anywhere because yeah can, can you drive that. me to my car <laughs> absolutely can you drive me around the parking lot can we uh, go through a drive-thru yeah totally you know, can, can we do it with the mic on not, not too many other podcasts can just drive off into the sunset can i have a double can, toe we can do that ice chai thank you everybody for joining us again this week on our uh, in process podcast and we hope you uh join us again next week see you later